Hi everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Coulter Lewis, co-founder and CEO at Sunday. Now, with 40 million acres of lawn and turf in the U.S., grass is technically our third largest crop. But here's the problem. For the last 30, 40 years, we've been treating lawns the same way dumping over 90 million pounds of pesticides every single year. And as we saw in the Roundup fiasco, this has huge issues. All these toxins and chemicals that get into our soil, into our water, and they create awful health conditions like cancer. Sunday changes all of this. And in the episode, Colter and I discuss creating a new toxic-free lawn care brand using soil, climate data, and photos to create these kits that are custom-built for your lawn, raising over $9 million to solve this problem at scale, and much, much more. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation with Coulter Lewis, co-founder and CEO at Sunday. Coulter, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Peter. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. Coulter, let's jump right in. What is Sunday, and how did you come to start it? Sure. So Sunday is the future of lawn care. We're taking on a very big space in a whole new way. We use data and technology to create custom plans so people care for their lawn and basically make it really easy to have a good-looking property without all the toxic stuff. Got it. And I mean, you don't hear too often people getting into this industry and specifically a company that's now raised over $9 million. So before Sunday, what were you doing? And then what was that eureka moment? I wish we could have me here from three years ago to, to tell myself that this is going to happen. I mean, I never would have believed I was going to be so into lawn care, but now I am. And I absolutely am just a fish in water and, and loving what I'm doing. But yeah, you know, what led me here was a lot of things that actually kind of fit right in and made sense to, to, to uh, have me start this. You know, originally I'm a mechanical engineer. I love the details, technology, and how things work and, and all of the science and numbers behind things. But I actually moved into design in my career and worked in a company called IDEO, which is a design consultancy for for a long time and, and helped big companies design mostly services and experiences and things like that and less around products. Ended up uh, leaving IDEO to start a brand with my wife called Quinn Snacks. So Quinn is, is a snack brand um, that you'd find on the shelf and in most grocery stores across the U.S. And, and Quinn is a snack brand that does a lot of things differently. So we focus incredibly heavily on our supply chain and ingredients. And that goes all the way to us sharing where every single ingredient comes from on a per batch basis, which no one else has done in our space before. And also goes to us being in field a lot and and working with our growers. And whenever we can, even influencing them to adopt different practices and grow better. I was kind of immersed in that world and spent time in fields. And a guy named Dave Vetter from Grain Place Foods is a place where we bring our kids every single year. And it's an organic farm in Nebraska. And it's just an absolutely almost spiritual place. And so that was that was my exposure to what it looked like to work with land and what that, that symbiosis could look like. And then <laughs> I, I, have a th- I have three little boys. I bought a home with my wife and I went to Home Depot and I was like, I'm going to take care of my yard. You know, I'm psyched about this. And I, and I was standing there in front of that aisle and it's pallet racks stacked high full of sacks of just the most powerful chemicals in the store. And, and you don't even need to, to look to know it because you can smell it. It's incredibly powerful and it almost knocks you off your feet a little bit. And I was, I was looking at it, looking at all the labels and how, you know, just, I'm good at killing this, I'm good at killing that. And it, it, I was just really lucky to have had that contrast, to have that previous experience and then be there in that moment and say, wait, this feels wrong. This is how we've done it forever. This is what normal looks like, but it doesn't feel like it should. And so from that moment, I was like, I, I don't want to learn more about this. I want to see if maybe there's a good reason for this, but, but it doesn't feel like it. And I'm going to figure out what's going on. 
that was that was the beginning. Wow. So I I, I don't uh, recall the exact interview. It was in CNBC or one of the big uh, publications, and you called the traditional lawn care system brute force. Can you explain what you mean by this, and how does your company Sunday enter the picture and, and, and differ from the uh, yeah, well. sure. I think brute force is, is probably a nice way of describing it, to be honest with you. So as I was there and I was, I was learning about the space, the first thing I did was hook up with a uh, connect with a guy named Frank Rossi, who's a turf PhD at Cornell. He's a leader in turf science space. He's like, you know, a, a rock star in that arena, um, does things like Yankee Stadium, things like that, but also for his entire career has pushed toward making turf more sustainable. And so through my, my conversations with him and then through just digging on the space, I learned a few things that kind of blew my mind. One is the scale. So it's 40 million acres of turf grass in the United States. That makes it our third largest crop. It's tied with wheat. So it's 10 times more land than all the organic farms combined. So it's like, wow, this is a huge swath of our country. And you really, you know, you, you can't pretend to or, or say you care about these kinds of topics and, and about soil health and about carbon sequestration or about anything related to how we work with earth and not care about this thing too. So that was one huge eye-opening moment for me. And then the second half of that is, well, how are we doing it today? And really what it is is kind of the worst of 1950s-style agriculture and chemical growing, but, but even worse than you would see on, on a farm because we, we do all prophylactic care on our lawns. Because it's a small area and the cost of the actual inputs is fairly low, we've adopted a, a system of basically covering our entire property in pesticides just in case we might have a problem. So a typical lawn will get a pre-emergent application for crabgrass and one for, for dandelion and one for grubs. And so these are powerhouse pesticides and insecticides covering our entire property for problems that probably won't even occur. And that's done every single year. And so that approach is just incredibly outdated, incredibly wasteful and toxic. So that, that's what I mean by brute force. This, this, instead of understanding the, the nature of your lawn and your soil and responding to issues as they arise, Instead of all that, we're doing a one-size-fits-all, just cover it with everything you can. Oh, man. When you talk about the kind of macro stats, it's actually, it's one of those things where you're like, duh, but it's not talked about. You really don't understand the scale of this crop that everyone's known their whole life. You know, most people that have grown in maybe non-urban or even in urban centers, they have a lawn. I'd love to explore the product because you know, going through the site and seeing how uh, the flow works. It's highly personalized. It's intelligent. Can you explain to our listeners, how does the Sunday experience work and what happens behind the scenes to enable this experience? We really try to focus on the needs of, of this particular crop, the best way to manage it, and then how do we get that to every single home in the US? And that was really also me learning from Frank, you know, how this is done at the highest level and what those groundskeepers, how they employ their expertise and how they work. And what it came down to was it was all about really, really knowing your particular grass, your soil, um, and your climate, and being able to react to those variables in a really precise way. And so it was incredibly like liberating and amazing moment to understand that there was, uh, you know, a more of a closed loop approach that was possible and even being done. So we wanted to to um, do that on a larger scale, on, on a kind of a micro plot basis, if you will. And so what Sunday does is we actually ask for your home address as the first piece of information from you. And we won't sell you anything until we know um, something about your property because everything we sell is customized to um, your particular needs. So what it looks like on the website is you actually start with your home address. Um, we pull up some satellite imagery of your home, but we also pull soil data, which is one of the largest databases on planet Earth. And it's this massive database of, of 
soil conditions across the U.S. And it's fairly high resolution. In my neighborhood, for example, there's five different soil types. We pull climate data, so we pull 30-year historicals, and so that's based off of all NOAA data. We created our own database from all of that to understand cloud cover, average temperatures, average precipitation, evapotranspiration, all of these agricultural variables um, that are seen on average over the last 30 years for your area. But we also pull um, real-time climate data as well. We ask uh, our customers a few questions, you know, questions about pets, or questions about their previous lawn practices, how old is their lawn, which has a huge impact on how we approach uh, caring for their lawn. And all of that goes into what we call a lawn engine, which is a piece of logic that creates a prioritization and creates a schedule. And what's actually happening behind the scenes is, is the first thing we're doing is we're charting uh, what's called growth potential. So we use this environmental data to say how much is the grass likely going to be growing on that day. And that ranges from dormancy, as in it's not growing at all and certainly does not need any nutrients, to it's in 100% growth mode, it's growing as fast as it can, it's really hungry, to it's in heat stress. And we really need to be careful because any sort of additional stress we add on could actually damage the lawn. And so that sets the schedule and the timing for the applications, which is one of the variables we change. And then we also set then based on, on that and other lawn needs, what exact uh, nutrients you're going to get and how much you're going to get. So that, that's kind of how the plans are customized. And so I geek out over all those details. I really love like, the, the inner workings of it. But for our customers, I think the most valuable thing is they can say, well, they know a lot about our property. They've got this and I'm going to get what I need when I need it. And that, that's how it feels for them. That's super fascinating. I, I'd actually love to to dive a bit further. So after you collect this data and you understand, okay, here's all the inputs, here's all the variables, and this is the precise formula that would be kind of pixel perfect for your home. Does that also affect the time intervals that you're transacting? Does, does a formula work for a given lawn over three months, over six months? How do the inputs actually affect the timing of receiving the product and applying it? Yeah, the timing is a critical component and, and often very misunderstood component. If you ask the average person, like, you know, when should you, when should you fertilize your lawn? You know, the answers you get are kind of all over the map and, and mostly wrong, um, to be honest. And, and they would have been if you'd asked me a few years ago, too, by the way. And so, you know, what we're doing is we're, again, we're, we're graphing how much the grass is growing based on current conditions. And so we know exactly how much nutrients it needs at that moment. And the approach overall is to put down exactly what's needed for the grass and what it can consume from a nutrient standpoint almost immediately and no more. And so that's, that's really what sets the timing. We'll say, okay, the grass is in, it's, it's spring, the grass is in top growth mode. It's at 60% growth. We're going to put on this much nitrogen and the grass will use that within two or three days. And so there's, there's this kind of equation-driven plant science behind it. And then just to, to zoom out real quick, not to be off topic here, but just to, you know, the topic of, of fertilizing a lawn is actually one that's a lot, it's very misunderstood and it'd be kind of interesting to maybe dig in that real quickly of why we're doing this, why we're even sending you nutrients at all. Yes, please do. Um, yeah, so sure. So, so grass is, is in the wild. Grass didn't grow by itself, right? It had, it had many plants that were symbiotic that grew together. And some of those plants would take nitrogen from the atmosphere, put it in the soil, and the grass would then consume the nitrogen. But also you had things like bison and other animals that were you know, feeding on the grass, but then also their waste was feeding the grass as well, heavy, high in nitrogen. And so there was a system that worked really well. well. In your backyard, you probably don't have a bison in your backyard. Guess it. And so, if you if you want to have a thick lawn that that you know is, is meeting the standard that we're expected to meet, there's some need for for nutrient input. And and so that's what we're supplying. We're, we're supplying you know very focused nutrients that the grass is desired desiring at that moment to make it grow thick and 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 green and, and look great. Um, and the other half of that, the other half of our strategy is around you know weed control is, a, is obviously a hot topic in this category. And again, the typical approach is just to cover your entire property these massively powerful chemicals. And our approach is let's build really healthy soil and a really thick, healthy lawn. Um, and that's the best weed control there is. You know, there, there's, 
uh, grass is the hardiest plant on earth. There's no question about that. And it is incredibly good at fighting off weeds when it has the right foundation. So that's what we focus on. Interesting. I mean, you just look at, you know, in my experience, you're right. The, the brute force analogy is quite relevant. And, and like you said, it might be underestimating the miscalculation of the status quo. I mean, you get a product and there's there's really no intelligence that's baked into that approach. In addition to that, there's all these like really dangerous and, and toxic chemicals, which we'll, we'll explore later with the Roundup fiasco, et cetera. But man, it is this, this, something like Sunday is long overdue. It's long overdue. Honestly, this shouldn't be a new idea. It's almost frustrating that it that it is. And just on the, the data topic, you know, some areas where we, I, I kind of forgot to mention this, but after you become a customer, there's a few additional things we dig into. So we then have aerial photography of your home. So we're able to actually, a person here, your lawn advisor, so every account is assigned someone who will help them out with their lawn. They actually will chart out the lawn area to get it exactly right in terms of square footage so we know the exact size. Um, and then a soil test comes with the first kit. So customers actually will take a soil sample and we'll get a full profile update information on, on where their soil is. So we go really, really far down the rabbit hole of data. And that's, that's you know, that, that's our expertise. Wow. Who is the typical consumer of Sunday today? You know, it's it's a huge range. I, I would I would love to say we have like a really refined target and this is this is our guy. But the, the truth is that as you, as you kind of alluded to earlier, there's 90 million American homes in the United States and almost every single one of them has a lawn. I mean, I think there's a thought among, you know, myself and, and I would imagine groups that, that you're in as well that, we're, you know, we're kind of moving away from that and there's, there's kind of less lawns and, and, you know, there's a sense that we're, we're moving a different direction. But the reality is the lawn area in the U.S. is increasing the total area every single year and new developments, they come with lawns. And so, you know, it's this, it's this again, this, this uh, third largest crop that keeps growing and that needs to be managed better. So, you know, I would say our, our customers are more men than women, but we do have a lot of women who sign up, which we absolutely love. And we're trying to also kind of change this kind of overly masculine idea of lawn care, which is ridiculous. Our, our age groups are, you know, 30 to 40 would be an, an age group that we get a lot of customers in. We certainly get a lot of new homeowners, people who, who don't have a routine and haven't been doing, you know, are really kind of entering into the space and saying, I, I need to take care of this thing I just bought. I really want it to look nice and I, and I feel responsibility toward taking care of it. And those are a lot of our customers. But I would say at the highest level, people who, who are not confident in their lawn care, don't know a lot about it and, and need some support. And I've talked to hundreds of people and that's kind of everyone. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's just, I mean, it makes it's sense. just not that you, um, yeah, I mean, you know, to learn about lawn care, you're either going to go and read a book on the weekend, which I don't, I don't know a single person who's done that <laughs> or you, or you Google it and you know, you're, you're hunting through what is half misinformation, half it's regional. It's just a really tough thing to learn about. And at the end of the day, it's agriculture. It's really complicated. So I think almost everyone needs that support and help. I love the decision around name as well. Like I think another company that kind of bottled an emotion or a tradition is Recess. Right? Every everything around the product and the experiences, you know, taking a recess and relaxing and kind of decompressing. And I think the the genius in Sunday is that like, you know, the that is the kind of archetype or the prototypical day that you care for your home. Right. Everyone's relaxing mm -hmm. and you spend an hour or two, you know, tending for the lawn. And it's just it's a brilliant decision. So we, we talked about consumer and there's obvious mass appeal in the product. 90 million homes, most of which you got to care for a lawn. But if we scale beyond the average, you know, Joe and Joe, 
there's also a, a huge commercial lawn market. I mean, your co-founder tends to the or tended to, you know, the iconic Yankee Stadium. So my question for you is, how are you thinking about B2B and what, if at all, does a Sunday offering look like here? It's, it's, a, it's a really fantastic question. And it's something we've grappled with a, a whole lot. You know, to be totally honest, I, I think we haven't, the name Sunday for me is like, you know, the reason I really bought into the name and really, really took it home for me was this idea that there's a routine people go through in the weekend and it's them caring for the little pot of land. And it's a really kind of a magical moment and day. And, and to the idea of us being a part of that was like just everything to me, just incredible. The idea that we could be a piece of that. And I'm sticking with that. Like I, I, I want to help people do more on their property and care for the little pot of land. And that's what gets me up in the morning, gets me going. So and there's a lot of work to be done there. So our core focus is on, on that DIY, that homeowner who's getting out there and, and caring for the little pot of land. The B2B component, yeah, it's going to happen, but it's, it's, it's in the future. Makes sense. You know, it's, it's the age-old wisdom. You know, there's – I'll be overly preachy, but uh, focus, particularly in the early innings, is like, you know, it's paramount. It's incredibly hard for me, by the way. I get so excited about all, <laughs> all the amazing <laughs> products we can make. And, you know, I, I love, love making new products and things like that. And so um, I'm, I'm constantly fighting myself to, to keep focus. I love it. We, we talked at the top of the interview, uh, you, your experience walking through Home Depot, and you see this stack of kind of age-old products that are jam-packed with chemicals and toxins. And the poster child of of this kind of anti-toxic or the this consumer sentiment against making sure that the products used are clean stems from this roundup fiasco right consumers are looking for clean but the other hand people are now skeptical right well should i be spraying my lawn with these products so how did the roundup fiasco affect sunday if at all yeah, so it's it's been fascinating. And we started before any of any of that. I think there's been people saying, Oh, you must have, you know, founded this company in response to that. And absolutely not. I mean, I think that that happened after we'd already begun. And to me, it was it was just one more. You know, this is not a new thing. This is maybe at a, at a larger scale, but there's a regular cycle of this. Product goes public, it becomes a part of the mass market. People are using all of their properties, and then more data and more study goes into it. We find out, no, oh, there's really there's some things here we ought to look closely at. And I think what was so fascinating about the Roundup thing to me is that when that news hit, it made headlines, you know, $2 billion awarded, like incredible headlines. The general reaction I heard from most consumers was, yeah, I kind of figured. <laughs> you know, I think, I think there's, a, there's a general understanding that things we're putting on our lawns are toxic because they also are covered in these warnings. You know, I talked to a customer when we were doing our early beta testing and, and he said, it's just easier. And I was like, well, unpack that. Tell me what easier means to you. And he said, well, I used to do my side yard and I'd keep my dog in the backyard for two weeks while the side yard was getting less toxic. And then I thought it was maybe, you know, at a level where it wouldn't hurt him on that yard. And I was like, holy cow, that is the lengths people would go to to try to reduce exposure. And the truth is, you know, I'm not going to be scare tactic and, and, and the actual health effects of these things is all up for debate. But the reality is whatever is on your lawn is absolutely in your home too. And, it's, and it is everywhere. And there's been, uh, Cornell did a study where they looked at 140 homes and they tested for the top 20 insecticides and pesticides. And they found every single one in every single home. <laughs> that was a really surprising outcome for them. Coulter, I, I'm sure you guys have thought of, thought about this quite a bit, but that soundbite from a beta tester or, or the story that can be told there is profound because it's many people are pet owners. If you're not a pet owner, maybe you have kids, right? And the fact that you have to 
modify your lifestyle to ensure that someone or a pet that you love cannot go and walk around your home is insane to me. This is why Sunday is so big. Yeah. It's insane. It's insane. I always say it'd be difficult to describe to the aliens. Like, <laughs> it just logically makes no sense. Where we buy a house to the yard so our kids and, can, and pets can play in it, and then we cover it with stuff that's incredibly toxic to, that, to those same you know, people and, and pets. If, if you notice um, the little yellow flags, this thing we're trying to draw some attention to. So these, these are put down by professional applicators when they put down pesticides and herbicides. This little yellow flag, and once I bring it up, you'll probably start seeing them everywhere because they are everywhere in spring and summer. And those are EPA mandated flags saying that that ground is unsafe for humans, right? And I think it's just madness that our landscape is is dotted with these little yellow flags. And you know, this thing that we built in order to enjoy is toxic. It just it's it's mind blowing. Coulter, man, this is you hit dynamite here, man. I tell you, this is this is one of the most interesting and promising companies that I've had you know the the opportunity to to speak with and learn about. I want to help connect the dots between Sunday and something core to this show, which is climate solutions. As Sunday gets closer to realizing its mission, what does this mean for ecosystems and the planet at large? Uh, it means a lot. So you know, one example I, I give of, of where things can go and is, is our neighbor to the north in Canada and the way they look at these um, types of compounds and, and use in homes. They actually have it so almost everything you'd see on the shelf in your local home improvement store is not legal in Canada. And basically, their cancer societies and their pediatric societies looked at those compounds and said, are they dangerous? Yeah, they, they seem like they're, you know, they're, there's definitely signs here that these things are pretty bad. Okay, well, what's the upside? Well, the upside is fewer dandelions. That, well, that's dumb. We're not going to do that. And so that was their, you know, their, their logical approach and kind of you know, a top-down approach. They, they kind of banned it across the country. But what they've seen over the last decades as they did that is water quality improving, levels of pesticides in streams and rivers and things like that dropping dramatically. You know, it's had a tremendous impact. And so I, I think that's what we need to start doing here. And again, it's, a, it's the third largest crop. And sometimes when I talk to people and they don't really understand the scale, I just open up Google Earth and I'm like, zoom in anywhere. <laughs> and when, what, what you do is you end up zooming in and what you see are little homes and little lawns. And you come to realize that that's, those are ecosystems. You know, if you're an animal or a bird or whatever, you know, insects, butterflies living in that area, that's all you've got. Um, and so the idea that we're treating every one of those lawns with incredibly high levels of pesticides and insecticides and creating these dead zones, you know, that that is in, an incredible destruction of potential habitat. So. There's a, there's a lot to be done here. And, and then there's a whole, you know, carbon sequestration as well. When a, when a lawn's managed properly, it acts um, like a forest or, or like a wild wild um, grassland, and it, it actually accumulates and stores carbon in the soil. So there's a lot that your backyard can do. And to me, it makes a lot of sense that if, if this thing is important to you, start with your own little wow. pile of land. This is one of kind of the most captivating value props in consumer specifically I've had the chance to learn about. So thank you for exploring this. That concludes kind of the core part of the interview. Now we segue to my favorite part of every conversation. It's our signature lightning round. And how it works is I'm going to ask you a couple questions and we'll try to answer them in 30 seconds or less. It used to be 60. I'm adding an additional constraint. <laughs> wow. Okay. You ready to go? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it in 30. Let me do it. <laughs> so the, the first question is, I'm, I'm a huge Shark Tank lover, and I know a lot of people in households around the U.S. 
really do enjoy the show as well. So for you, if you could work with one of the sharks, who would it be and why? Wow. Okay. All right. So I'm on Shark Tank and I'm picking the, <laughs> picking my partner. To be honest, I don't watch it a ton because I, I kind of live it and I find myself biting my nails the whole time because it's so nerve wracking. But I, I think I think Lori would be would be would be my my pick. And and I think maybe that's I don't know if that's unexpected or not. I, I kind of like I like her and that's part of it. And that's a really important reason to pick someone I think as a, as a partner and a funder. But I also think she she you know through the QBC things she knows her customers she knows how to, to market and build products that people want and not just for herself but 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 for you know every American which is so much of what we're trying to do and make it you know broadly applicable not just to coastal millennials but to the middle of the country and uh, you know she also makes things she has hundreds of patents I think and so I, I respect that to no end the fact that that she's inventing and making so yeah that that's Lori's Lori's my girl. Right on. Lori, you here to hear. <laughs> Second question. As someone who's raised millions, right? Now over nine million all in, but even in the in the early, early innings, raised quite a bit of money. What is your best fundraising advice to founders raising their first capital? I think so I, I've you know, I also founded a company before this and raised capital there too. And I I think the a core thing I've learned, I used to think about it as in like, I hope I can be picky. I hope I'm in a good enough position so I can be picky on my partner. And then that's evolved now to, I have to be picky no matter what. You know, if, if I don't have that, like you cannot not be picky. Um, you have to be thoughtful about your partner is. And, you know, it is not about the dollars. It's about the person that you want to pick up the phone and call, the person you respect and, and you want their advice. And this is, you know, it is a, a serious relationship you're engaging in that is permanent. So, I think it's it's just get past the dollars, and it, there's no more general commodity than than money. So get past that and, and focus on the people. Love it. Third question: If you weren't working on Sunday, what would you be exploring? What problem set would you be exploring, and why? I would. I, I you know actually so going from Quinn to Sunday, the, it was something to leave behind, and it was hard for me. And, and I think, you know, what, what we did at Quinn and what's happening in food is incredibly impactful and important. And, you know, the, the mission at Quinn was to bring the supply chain to the forefront and have people thinking about when they're snacking on pretzels, thinking about, you know, the farmer in, in Kansas growing sorghum and, and making that, that really kind of fundamental connection to, to the earth. And I, I love that. So I think I'd, I would be, I'd be in food and I'd be making great food, hopefully. Oh, that's amazing, man. The last question, lightning round. What is the most impactful piece of advice you've received? Oh man, I get a lot of advice, <laughs> and most of it's really great. You know, something I I say in my head a lot is is from years ago when I was working at IDEO, and the the guy who ran our office there, who was just a fantastic designer and a really inspirational guy. And, and he wasn't trying to be poignant or anything else. We were just working on something. And I was like, well, this is what I'm trying to do. And he was like, well, you know, I, I can't really tell. If you're trying to do something, you should show it. And it, it was kind of like a more elegant version of go big or go home. But I'm constantly in my head, I'm, I'm trying to get myself out of nuance and into being direct and honest and, and really clear in, in, in the way I design and make uh, everything from you know, the branding and packaging, but just to our mission and who we are and why we're here and just having that focus. So that's something I, I say to myself a lot. Wow. Man, that's great. Coulter, before we part ways, I would love to roll the red carpet. Is there any final call to actions, any announcements you'd like to make? The floor is yours. <laughs> oh, so much. You know, I would say, you know, 
you don't need to buy products from Sunday to do this. I think one of our, our core messages is around education and, and supplying people with the tools they need to care for their land the way that an organic farmer or, or the way you'd want to care for a national park. And so, you know, check out our website, check out our free resources and just get started and connecting with your own little piece of dirt. And I, I would love for people to do that. Coulter, thank you so much for coming on. This was so much fun. Awesome. Thank you, Peter. It was fantastic. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing and writing us a review. Also, if you have any recommendations about a founder or a company that you'd like to see on the show, let us know. Message us on social at In Good Hands. Also, special shout out to Dan Mahoney, who produced this week's episode, and Eddie Knuckles, our music director. I'm your host, Peter Levin. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Peter A. Levin. And that's it. Looking forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.